This October, join But Why Though in support of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. St. Jude is committed to transforming cancer care with the goal of curing at least 60% of children worldwide with six of the most common forms of cancer by 2030. Uh, with your support, you will help St. Jude stay true to its life-saving mission, finding cures, saving children. Donate to support the treatment of childhood cancer around the world at stjude.org slash butwhythough. Again, that's stjude.org slash b-u-t-w-h-y-t-h-o. Hey everybody, welcome back to But Why Though the Podcast, and we're continuing our spooky programming with Bloomhouse. As always, I'm Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? I'm Matt. Hello. And it wouldn't be an October lineup if we didn't have our resident spooky, wholesome boy, Alex. It's me, I'm back. Of course I was going to be back, it's October. Yes. (laughs) And it was, I was actually very sad when we recorded Casper, and I was like, oh no, Casper is Mr. Rogers. We should have had Alex on. I do. I do like Casper. I think my family actually had at least one VHS when I was a kid. And then mostly I remember the Pizza Hut marketing around the movie, but I do remember enjoying the movie and bought it after that episode. (laughs) Yeah. The marketing for that movie, insane. Like $13 million. I remember it being on everything. Yeah. Also, this is a testament that you're, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you run a band, a, a brand. Alex bought a movie after listening to us. Exactly. So, so sponsor our podcast. Right? Direct results. That is $7.50 into somebody's pocket. <laughs> Definitely not the original owners of Casper. That's for that's sure. No, that, 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 that was a bummer to hear. <laughs> um, yeah, but today we're going to dive into Bloomhouse, which is a production company of films, and I'm going to defend their honor, which is, I think, a lot easier now in a world after Get Out, but was very hard pre-2017. So, uh, Alex, why don't you introduce yourself, tell everybody who's listening where they can find you, and why you were brought on for this episode. Yeah, so my name is Alex. I just really like horror movies, uh, so that's kind of the reason that I'm here. I work for Friday.com, which is a genre and horror news and review site. Uh, and yeah, I just enjoy I enjoyed horror in general, and right now it's hard to be a part of that scene without this production company being a part of that conversation. Um, so yeah. That's kind of why I'm here. Awesome. And to start this off with a question, Mm -hmm. what's your favorite Bloomhouse film? And I'm going to allow everybody to Google this because you would be surprised by the things that this company has put out. It is synonymous with horror currently. But oh boy, there, I was they on their Wikipedia. Different films. Yeah, there was a wild card. There was a couple wild cards, but there was one that I was like, "Wait, that was them?" Oh, Tooth Fairy. That's my favorite one. Tooth Fairy starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, that was an insane one to see pop up. Uh, I think realistically, my favorite is. I mean. I'm a huge fan of Get Out. Um, if I'm going to go away from the obvious answer, I also really liked Happy Death Day, as ridiculous as it was. Uh, and then they co-produced Creep, so I'll keep that one out of the conversation. Um, but that was going to be my first one until I realized, like, oh, wait, no, you worked with somebody else to make that one happen. So I guess I will go next. And with one, Kate purposely waited till she could actually talk and defend this because I made fun of this. I had- I had to wait for the right moment where somehow Bloom Home, Bloom House 
became synonymous with prestige horror and not just like <laughs> I made and fun I of used, this for like I, four hold or on. three years. I, I would like to present this. I'm going to use the term prestige horror in mm-hmm. this episode. <laughs> I don't stand by that term. I think it is stupid. And delineating horror horror in that way is not great for the genre. But I'm going to use it because other people do, and I need to defend my baby, which is Blue mm-hmm. House Productions. I think I feel like my opt for that is to just call it like more thoughtful horror films. Because, like, that's really what people are getting at is, like, oh, it wasn't teens getting murdered at a summer camp. Therefore, it's prestige. hasn't been a trope in a long time when you actually yeah. look at horror in, like, the last two decades. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Matt, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now that, um, one, I'm still going to have fun and rip on this. But looking at, since you did say we could Google the list. Um, Gem and the Holograms? Actually, yeah. Um, I have been looking at some of these, all of these, uh, whatever the production things and i actually have seen a lot more movies um surprisingly i didn't mind the darwin awards which was actually pretty interesting for a uh um, a movie that one was fun yeah it wasn't bad um probably the belko experiment probably the best movie that i can say was on here i made you watch that one right yeah um i have seen a lot more but those are probably the top two that i can think off the top of my head that i'm like yeah that's fine I mean, the the first purge wasn't bad. Per, first paranormal activity, once again, not that bad. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Expect to hear that a lot this episode, Adrian. Uh, I'm gonna go with 2018's Benji. Uh, Netflix. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, just, like I was gonna let I was gonna let you have produce. it. I wanted to. I wanted to hear the explanation. I did too. Uh, I, was just, I was just looking at the list. I was like, Benji, really? It's like sandwiched in between like Insidious <laughs> and other <laughs> horror movies. And you just have like Benji distributed to Netflix. Um, I think from this list, uh, seeing, in- seeing Insidious on a list again doesn't make me very happy that we're going to have to talk about that movie again. <laughs> oh, yeah, we just talked about that. <laughs> Damn it. Um, James won two episodes ago. Yeah, it makes me a little uncomfortable. I probably want to say get out is probably like the best movie although like i have very 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 fond memories of really really enjoying upgrade when i, I watched I saw upgrade and i missed it on the list and i was like oh i should have said that one I yeah that I, one. so i want to say get out because i've seen it so many times but the first time i think i watched upgrade i think i had a better time so i probably probably gonna go with upgrade or get out the better villain upgrade uh, is underrated yeah yeah split the also movie yes the also enjoyed movie. split but it was fun. Um, yeah, so for me, I have seen, like, I did not realize how many Bloomhouse films I had seen until I actually looked at the list. And to sum it up, if you've watched VOD Horror in the last, like, since 2009, mm-hmm. you've probably watched every Bloomhouse film that's yeah. come out. I know. I was thinking I was coming into this conversation having not seen a lot of, of their films. And then I looked at the list and was like, oh, no, never mind. I just didn't realize how much they were attached to. Yeah. Um, so I I have two. It's hard. This is hard for me. Because three of my favorite horror films are here. Oh, actually, so many. Like, I love Insidious. I love Sinister. I love Oculus, which is an underrated film from like Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. Get Out is... 
literally we're going to talk about this in our Jordan Peele episode that we're going to do later this month is like the whole start of a brand of, of the resurgence of social horror. But I think I have to say the invisible man because mm. I have never been terrified to the point where I can't move. And the opening scene of the invisible man, if you haven't seen that, that came out this year, it feels like 10 years ago. Um, but I got to see it at a press screening and watching it in a theater where there's like a code of silence across the board. The opening scene is the main character escaping her abusive relationship. And it like the way Lee Winnell uses silence and framing, it was terrifying and it was cathartic, but it was definitely a little bit re-traumatizing. Like yeah. having had like those types of experiences before. But it is probably one of the most powerful movies I've seen to connecting people with mm -hmm. that experience. Like I, I know a lot of people who had watched it and were like, oh, wow, I have been that friend who gaslighted my friend unintentionally and so i think the power that invisible man has i think will be lost on some people because it had a limited theatrical run because of covid but i think that when it comes to something that just hit different mm -hmm. it was watching that film in a theater granted yes. i didn't watch get out in a theater i still think it's phenomenal i literally cannot watch sinister again without getting extremely scared but i think so far as like hitting me at my core it was the invisible man Nice. So, um, I still need to watch list. that one. So looking at this list, I do think you should probably get a sh shout out to Into the Dark series thing. That is apparently yeah. on here. Oh. Yeah, so I have that later on in the TV stuff. So we can dive into Into the Dark because it's actually a really cool thing. Into the Dark is an anthology television series that is really one film a month that they apparently package together as a TV series. Brilliant. Um, and each month it's geared towards different pieces of the month. And like my, my actually my favorite from there is it's very, it's, it's very seldom that you get horror focus on the Latino experience. And what I mean specifically by that is people in Latin America are Latin American people who are outside of that are latinx or latino and culture shock is a film that deals with all of that and we'll get into that later but yeah no into the dark is phenomenal i think i've reviewed all of them this year save for a couple but like if you're not on that series like go into hulu type in into the dark and let the like 24 films rush over you mm-hmm no special shout out to the accidental husband in two thousand nine, starring Uma Thurman, was, Jeffrey D. Morgan, and Colin Firth. I was gonna give a shout out to the boy next door, starring Jennifer Lopez. Oh, I should have said that one. Guy. I I love that movie. That's a good one. Oh, that movie. There's a lot of fun stuff with the background in that movie. Matt will bring it up later when we talk about the Bloomhouse model. But for <laughs> now, we're gonna talk really, really quickly about what Bloomhouse is. And when I say quickly, this will probably be my my fastest history of a thing. It's like two paragraphs max. Um, Bloomhouse Productions is an American film and television production company founded by Jason Bloom. Bloomhouse is known mainly for producing horror films such as Paranormal Activity, Insidious, Sinister, The Purge, Oculus, The Gift, Split, Get Out, Happy Death Day, Upgrade, Halloween, and most recently, The Invisible Man. Um, 
special shout out to Sweetheart, which I will talk about later. It's also one of my favorite films now available on Netflix. Um, Bloom House has also produced drama films like Whiplash, Black Klansman, and the production company has earned nominations for Academy Awards for Best Picture with Get Out and Black Klansman, and won Academy Awards for Best Original Screenplay and Best Adapted Screenplay, respectively. Which is like the full circle of Bloomhouse throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping some of it sticks mm-hmm. to getting the Academy Awards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they made the um, model work for them. They really did. Um, and Bloomhouse is also not only film. They've also transitioned to the TV space and have really started thriving now that COVID has taken place. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we drive into their model. Um, and they are a production company that thrives on the micro budget, which was started in 2009. Um, to sum it up real quickly, Bloomhouse essentially spends $5 million or less for each original film and about $10 million per sequel of that film. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but in comparison to what goes into films nowadays, it's not a lot. $10 million wouldn't pay Robert Downey Jr. for a Marvel movie. <laughs> Which is no. why the whole no. Boy Next Door with Jennifer Lopez is funny. $10 million wouldn't get you Casper made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, when you think about all the things that you cannot do on a, on their generous, quote-unquote, $10 million budget for a sequel, it's astounding that they're as successful as they are. Yeah, for perspective... And to lead into her first but why, though, Get Out was made on $4.5 million and made 111 at the box office. Wow, I didn't even realize that. Yep. That's insane. Yep. yep. That's why I think even before that Paranormal Activity was the big one that they used. That thing was made on, like, what, like $18,000 or some weird number? Yep. Mm-hmm. They shot it all in, like, one rent. They shot it in the guy's own house. Save that money. <laughs> yeah, it was made on 15000 My bad. My bad. It was made on $15,000 and... Made tens of millions? Made $193 million at the box office. Yeah, that's a good return. That is what started micro-budget horror. Yeah. And we're going to get into, and I'm going to defend my babies, which are micro-budget horror. Um, but does anybody have any questions about that super, super, super brief synopsis of Bloomhouse? Well, I, if you know this, and maybe you don't, is where did that mentality of theirs start? Like, Statistics. what? how is it that that's what they chose for their business model? Statistics. Money. Statistics okay. and money. It's all yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. So assen- yeah, so I break it down later on, but essentially the reasons the costs are what they are is literally driven by how much it costs to place a movie on iTunes. Oh, wow. Okay. Hmm. So literally they just went like, how cheap can we do this? Okay. If a Bloomhouse movie flops, it will only lose no more than a million dollars. Okay. That's, Uh, that's what I was looking for. Regardless of film. Yeah. So they, they do throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall. And it's that thing of like, how do you keep affording noodles? And it's like, oh, that's why. Like, yeah, I believe NPR's in, uh, Real Money actually does an entire breakdown of their entire model and how it's literally all statistics and like breaks stuff out. It's fantastic. I will include a episode or I will include a link in the show notes for y'all because um, Matt has used that Real Money episode to make fun of me, which is why I have waited until 2020, which is the year of Bloomhouse. 
to talk about it because while while other studios are dying, Bloomhouse is like, yo, we do VOD content all the time. But we're going to dive into exactly why Bloomhouse matters after you all learn about why St. Jude matters after this. Join supporters around the world and raise money for the kids of St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, where families never receive a bill for treatment, travel, housing, or food, because all a family should worry about is helping their child live. Each year, approximately 16,000 children and teens in the U.S. are diagnosed with cancer. One in five of these children won't survive. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. It is estimated that more than 400,000 children worldwide develop cancer each year, and nearly half of them are never diagnosed. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Donate today at stjude.org slash though to join the fight to cure childhood cancer again. That is stjude.org slash though to donate now. Our first but why, though, is the Bloomhouse model, which is make films cheap, turn out hits, reinvigorate theater horror while you're doing it. Um, And essentially, and this is a quote from Jason Bloom as to why they do this model. Horror works because you don't need big names. You just need a concept. Which yeah. is not wrong. Like, at all. Like, if we look at the history of horror overall, back to the 70s and the 80s, a lot of big stars get their start in horror. Mm -hmm. Even if you just just look, pick a franchise. The whole Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Guess what happened to Johnny Depp at first? Mm -hmm. He died in a bed with a fountain of blood. Kevin Bacon got an arrow through the throat on Friday the 13th. And exactly, it's all over. Like, there are so many actors who start in horror and then become big that there is minimal risk. And I'm going to use risk from this point on with uh, quotations and bunny ears around it because we are going to talk about diversity later on in the show. I don't personally believe it's a risk, but we're talking from the company's perspective. Mm-hmm. And what dealing with micro micro budgets does is it allows you to take bigger risks on just concepts which means you can go to bloomhouse you can pitch something and you don't need big names attached to it you don't need extra filler you just need that concept to be something that they think can succeed and succeed to bloomhouse is just make the money back yep. not making anything else so Bloomhouse CEO Jason Bloom outlined in a conversation with Peter Kafka at Recode's Code Media Conference in 2017 that the studio typically spends no more than $4 million to $5 million on a film. And that number isn't pulled from thin air. Like I said earlier, Bloom said that dig- digital distribution through channels like iTunes can, can guarantee about $2 million in sales in the U.S. and another $2 million overseas. So just by breaking down how much it costs to get onto a platform and what that platform can generate, they've picked their maximum for spending on a movie, which means they will almost always make money back. Mm. And so then the next concept. So the company's model is to produce films on a small budget, give directors all of their creative freedom, which we'll get to later, and release them wide uh, through the studio system. So Bloomhouse's low-budget model began in 2009 with Paranormal Activity, which was made for $15,000, as we mentioned earlier, and grossed over $193 million 
worldwide. Bloomhouse also produced Insidious, which grossed over $99 million worldwide on a $1.5 million budget, and Sinister, which grossed $87 worldwide on a $3 million budget. And I believe Get Out was, like I said, I think it was $111 worldwide on $4.5. So you have a line of horror movies that when they hit and they catch fire, Bloomhouse makes money. So, uh... But that doesn't necessarily mean that every Bloomhouse film is going to be as well thought out or as scary as the ones that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, this model kind when you talk to other horror critics for a long time, it was, well, it's a Bloomhouse film. (laughs) Like, you know what to expect from a Bloomhouse film. The mm-hmm. pieces that caught fire and did well were kind of in the minority. Yeah. And you would go into a Bloomhouse film expecting something great or something awful. Mm-hmm. And it would be amazing when you when it paid off. Or it would just be like, oh, okay, I get it. That was low budget, whatever. Yeah. Um, and those low expectations is kind of what set how we talk about them for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean um, even in the in the public circle, I don't fully know what the perception is because I am in, in more in the genre critic circle. But I feel like people have maybe heard of, of Bloomhouse, but more so it's like the from the people who made Get Out. And they're like, oh, I know what Get Out is. And so like they're not even like riding that goodwill into like manipulating their, their image or anything because like you said, they are fighting that uphill battle because if they actually heavily tagged their name on everything, there'd be a lot to sort through. Yeah, which is basically the whole model, as much as we talk about it being made cheap, cheap. And they're one of the few studios, at least from my understanding, they didn't care about the flops. The, never, the point was that we don't care yep. whether the movie flops. Because obviously we talk about all the other studios, yep. and like, oh my gosh, something flops, we worry out. They didn't care because they knew that. They basically, when they made this model with that $4 million thing, thing, they basically were under the assumption, I think it was either seven or eight of their ten movies would mm-hmm. flop that year. The point of the matter was they had to hit on like one or two because you you would basically surplus the budget of all the movies you made for the entire year. Plus, oh yeah, I else. mean if we're gonna take the the Get Out example, like re- making roughly a little over a hundred million dollars just bankrolled their next twenty movies. Yeah, and so that was literally the whole philosophy. And obviously, the funny thing is we're bringing up Get Up, Get Get Out, Get yeah. And talk and that's not their yeah. highest grossing well it's not their highest grossing but it's funny because it's the most well known but remember is uh that's in 20 was it 17 so they did this they're for still like, using those, those checks like that's well, still uh, how that's they're what I'm saying. They're using it, but they had a good 10 years almost 10 years of this model of just mm-hmm. rolling stuff out and it wasn't until basically now we all say oh well they made get out we're doing great and i'm like mm-hmm. you had seven eight years of them just rolling out whatever they could but they had insidious and they mm-hmm. had Sinister. They had like, the Tooth Fairy. They had to <laughs> make some money. Oh, that was terrible. Like, no, before Get Out, they did have great movies. The thing is, Bloomhouse didn't market itself as a production company of those movies until Get Out, like Alex said. Now they say, from the producers who brought you Get Out. Like, that is now what they do. Yeah. Before then, they were just like, hey, yo, I'm a high back here. Like, yeah. they didn't really, they didn't lead with it until they started getting all these hits. Mm-hmm. Which is um, funny because when we get to the, I mean, the boy next door was supposed to be their actual big budget. They brought in Jennifer Lopez 
And that's why it's funny because this one's talked about because this was supposed to be their like huge big budget type thing. Even though I don't think they still only spent like four million, but they got like Jennifer Lopez and they did all this stuff. And if you ever listen, thing apparently there were so many issues on the set because they like we don't have the budget to do anything, mm-hmm. and so they wanted yep. to make as high. They wanted to blow up a car, yeah, but they couldn't actually blow up a car yeah. because it was too much money because of budget constrictions. Yeah, so this movie is completely put together with duct tape, essentially. Because yeah. of what they wanted to, with Jennifer Lopez in the middle, and obviously, I think this movie ends. She up... used four of the five million dollars. <laughs> yeah, and so and honestly, and that's why the... but it's funny because like this movie gets brought up a lot because it is one of those. They this was the first time that they like basically didn't have budget to do anything. They tried to use a big name at the time, and then it ends up making like still fifty million dollars on a four million dollar budget. But it ends up being a colossal failure. But they loved it. They didn't care because they made because they money. still made money on it. Yeah. Um, but you should but, look, if you so, ever get a chance to listen to the story behind the boy next door because it's hilarious because they do not have any money to oh, do anything. Oh, it's mess. If you like mess, it's mess. <laughs> um, but all of that goes into the fact that actually, like Matt kind of alluded to, Bloomhouse also has low expectations for their film. They don't expect you to love all of them right away. Um, and so essentially, Bloomhouse also doesn't decide whether a movie is going to the big screen or if it's going to VOD, unless it's finished. So essentially, you shoot this movie, you have no idea what's going to happen, and then they pick what platform it's going to go to. Um, So this meant at the time where theaters were a thing, uh, back in the before times. (laughs) Back uh... (laughs) in the before times. It hurts. (laughs) (laughs) That even if a film bombed, the worst case scenario was that they would only lose $1 million. That was the max. When you're talking and, movie money, that's a good bet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially considering like what some of these movies have lost just in COVID times. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Bloom said, I say to directors, I guarantee your movie will be seen but I'm not guaranteeing how it will be seen. Smart. <laughs> um, and essentially, if you cut to today, the model, this model itself is what has helped Bloomhouse adapt to COVID and keep churning out important movies and going to VOD easily. Um, so essentially... One of the struggles you're seeing a lot when you come to films is whether or not to put on VOD. When COVID first hit, Invisible Man was in the middle of its theatrical run. The choice to put it on VOD was really fast. And I think it was right after March, it was already on VOD. Mm-hmm. Because Bloomhouse was like, we got this. We've already made our money on those like three weeks Let's go to, you know, let's go to VOD. And it ended up making a lot of money still on the VOD platform, which they haven't released really, but we know that it's positive. Um, And it's also just a generally good movie. But beyond that, because Bloomhouse secured, has a television arm, they were able to already partner with streaming services like Hulu So they had their Into the Dark series, but now they also have partnered with Amazon, which came after they brought on, like, the, I think she was, like, the previous CTO. She was a CXO exec. 
um, from Netflix to Bloomhouse, and they ended up solidifying a uh, partnership with Amazon Studios, which was Welcome to the Bloomhouse, which are four films all united by the tying piece of what parents will do for their children. It is just as scary as it sounds. Um, I've seen three of them so far, and I have another one to watch tonight. Um, but they are really fun. And essentially, these are feature films that were kind of going to go into the ether until Bloomhouse greenlit them and put them into the streaming platform sphere. And when we're looking at how hard it is for production companies and studios to actually put films into theaters, this Bloomhouse model kind of guarantees that you lose no money by going direct to DVD. Or <laughs> not direct to DVD. Dir uh, you know, direct to VOD. And this is something that's been bothering me when it comes to seeing horror directors or horror movies themselves putting out, like, tweets and stuff like that, talking about, like, oh, this has to be seen in a theater, when as a horror fan, the majority of the media I've consumed has been VOD because theater horror didn't hit really an uptick until like The Conjuring, I would say, which mm -hmm. we covered in our James Wan episode. And even then, it's a very select piece of theater horror with a lot of it being excluded to limited, limited releases. Mm. So I think... I don't know what you think, Alex, because I know you're the it's, other horror person on this so, podcast right now, but I think VOD is kind of where it's at, and horror oh, yeah. uses nothing by funneling into that. Oh, absolutely. I, I have been telling people that for a few years of, like, VOD has given horror a chance to, like, shine and, and thrive and grow and become, like, a bigger and better genre. Um, and I also, honestly, I'm not usually a big fan of the uh, of filmmakers saying this has to be seen in a theater. Um, just because I like what you're saying is you need a big screen and a sound system and that's kind of it. And I mean, one with the way that TVs are progressing, like sitting in the back of a theater versus sitting five feet away from your 65 inch flat screen. Like it's not that different of an experience when you really think about like how much of your field of vision is being taken up by a screen. And so I don't know, I'm, I'm just not a huge fan of the argument. And like <laughs> part of it is that maybe it feels like a little bit classist and, um, you know, like accessibility and whatnot. But yeah, like horror on VOD has been fantastic. And honestly, there are movies that I've seen on VOD that I feel like would have been ruined seeing in a theater. Um, like Bloomhouse is unfriended. The whole thing takes yeah. place on a monitor. And watching that on my laptop on a couch with a couple friends was a way different experience than if we had gone to see it in a theater. Dave, you heard it here first, at folks. Alex hates the movie theater. <laughs> Alex I do. I wish down they all I don't. I'm Adrian, theater. don't you have a movie theater in your house? This is true. Uh, I, do, I do miss theaters. I do love theaters. But I, the argument of, like, it needs to be seen here is, like, well, then are you going to let it be released on DVD? Or is that besmirching your film? Like, yeah. You and the answer is no, because you want the money. So, so like, and I – oh, go ahead. I, I'm, I'm just going overall with one. I don't care about theaters. Um, it's a different experience, but overall, like, as you've mentioned, like the fact that people keep saying you need to watch this in a theater makes no sense to me because it's literally just, you, do you have a big enough screen and a sound system outside of that? And there is no communal experience. There is nothing. You sit in a dark room. That's usually full of trash and that's it. I mean, the communal experience is also there, but you can have that at home. And honestly, I prefer it when my friends are the ones talking and making noise than when it's random teenagers. <laughs> So, like, I think that there is a beautiful connection that happens in theaters. 
especially around big pop culture moments. And I think especially during festival showings, like mm-hmm. I would say the most emotive that I've seen people has been in festival screenings of films. That said, free showings. My <laughs> ultimate thing here is there are like there is a communal experience that can happen at home. And I think that some films have taken advantage of that, like Shutter's Host. Shutter's Host mm-hmm. worked because we did it in a Discord call. And in the 10th minute before the film was over, when everything was taking off, Matt walked into my room and scared me on chat right before the big final scare happens. And everybody lost their collective shit together. That's incredible. Because of how that film is seen. So, That's like, so good. I think, I think that I, I, I personally think that theaters are a really great piece mm-hmm. of communal activity when you have the right people with you, which means not everything is going to be that way. Like I watched the grudge by myself. Nobody else mm-hmm. was in that theater as it should be. Cause that movie was trash, but there's a different type of community. When you watch a trash movie at home with people in a call or with your friends on your couch, that I think just gives another piece of connectivity that directors aren't thinking of. And I think of some of the Bloomhouse films that we've watched on during our horror community nights, and one of them that's my favorite is Sweetheart, which is by J.D. Dillard, and it, it's a minimalistic film. It's a survival film where you have one character for the majority of the film, and you have beautiful special effects. And we were all so invested and talking to each other and talking it out. And it was one of those moments where, like, if I'm directly with people that I know, I can connect to this film differently Mm -hmm. than the random person in row number two. Well, I'm in row number 10 and us yelling at each other that we gotcha. And then we never talk to each other again. Like that, those are two different experiences because, like our our community horror night from Sweetheart still gets brought up in conversation. And so, like when I think of some of the films that have gotten pushed, like Candyman, I'm like, those would have thrived on VOD. And mm-hmm. a lot of what Bloomhouse has done is shown how you can be on VOD and succeed. And have a really solid place within horror that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of films like uh, Creep, which it's literally two dudes improvising in a cabin for an hour and a half, basically. Um, phenomenal horror that film. movie is unsettling. It is. I watched it with my friends. I've watched it repeatedly with my friends. I actually don't know that I can imagine seeing that in a movie theater. Like, it mm-hmm. seems like it could be like a fun one-off experience. But ultimately, like, that's, I don't think that's how it's meant to be seen. It's too personal to be seen in a, in a theater. Mm-hmm. And then you have other films. So films that only work in a theater, A Quiet Place, did yes. not hit at all when I watched it at home. But what about yep. Hush then? No, Hush worked at home. But I also watched Hush while you were out of town and I was in the home by myself. And it was all about a home intruder. That's a mistake. I think... Yeah, it was a big mistake. Hush works because it's a home intruder film. Mm-hmm. Because it's an intruder film, watching it outside of a theater actually makes its impact bigger. Because in you're in your space of comfort and the entire film is about intruding that yep. comfort. 
My nice. sister texted me to ask if she could handle the strangers. Uh, she lives alone. And I was nope. like, well, and nope. I thought about it and I was like, you've watched scarier movies than this. And she and she watched it. And then a week later was like, well, someone knocked on my neighbor's door and I jumped 10 feet in the air. So I don't think I could handle that film. Like that was a mistake that is still stuck in my head to this day. So why did um, they answer the door? That's the only problem I have with the strangers. Oh, I don't know. If you just don't answer the door, then this happens. That's true. That's why your necks is better than the strangers in a way, because they shoot through the windows. So it doesn't matter if you answer the door. That's why the strangers, I, I don't mind the movie, but it just bugs me because the whole point is, if you don't open the door, none of this happens. Yeah. But I mean, it's a movie. You just gotta it, yeah. go with what's happening. Suspension of disbelief. There's a reason I don't watch horror with Matt. Yeah. And it's suspension of disbelief. That's fair. Um, one last um, thing to, to circle back to the communal experience thing. I did see a quiet place in a movie theater and I didn't realize one, how quiet and respectful everyone was being. Uh, and, they until were scared aliens were going to come get them. Soon, Alex? Literally as soon as there was like noise in the movie or like the waterfall or something, you hear people letting coughs out. You hear people like eating popcorn, opening snacks. Like suddenly there's all of this noise. And as soon as it's done, everyone goes dead quiet again. I saw it in a movie theater by myself, and it was probably one of the most effective uses of the setting that I have ever been in. Mm-hmm. It's, I have it's not fun. watched. I have not watched The Invisible Man, which I'm probably going to put on a movie night, probably next, or I guess when you're listening to this this week, because I do think everybody should see that film. I haven't watched it outside of a theater, so I am curious as mm. to how it's succeeds outside of the acceptance of silence that theaters have yeah that's a good question um but yeah moving on to the next but why though because this but why though took like 30 30 minutes (laughs) solidly um the other but why though is the amount of content that bloomhouse has put out um so i will preface this by saying I have focused on the horror-centric t- uh, content, horror drama content that comes out of Bloomhouse because it is spooky month. I suggest if you're at home listening right now because you totally shouldn't be driving anywhere because the world is a mess, please don't get COVID, look up the list of films that Bloomhouse has produced and you will be surprised by the additional things to it. But for right now, in 2010, Haunted Movies was formed as a division of Bloomhouse, and they released Insidious, The River, The Bay, and The Lords of Salem. 2013, they released, uh, Bloomhouse released The Purge, Insidious Chapter 2, and Dark Skies. Dark Skies is underrated, I will say. That movie is creepy. Um, 2014, huh? I'm trying to remember if I've seen Dark Skies. It Dark Skies is essentially a rift on Envy or not. Invasion, oh no! Uh, oh God! God! Kind. God! God! Get out of here! Get out of here! Oh yeah, Adrian. No, don't God. look up any yeah. of these movies. Yeah, that one. I didn't like that one at all. I'm gonna turn on my lights. This is where I go. <laughs> my sweet baby boy, please don't look up any of these films. Uh, I didn't like those Dark Skies pictures. Nope, that's that's the most uncomfortable I've been in a long one. time. I was, I was thinking of a different movie, but that yeah, Dark Skies is good. Dark Skies is is surprisingly good. 
2014, Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones, or The Latino Paranormal Activity, uh, (laughs) The Purge, Anarchy, Jezebel, Ouija, and Whiplash. All of these suck except for Whiplash. Uh, fall of 2014, Bloomhouse essentially establishes BH, uh, BH Tilt. If you, if you don't know what that is, you totally know what it is because it's the opening where the chair moves and tilts to its side and BH Tilt comes up on the screen. Um, and these were dedicated to generating movies from Bloomhouse and other filmmakers for multi-platform releases. So that means going on to streaming and movies as well as other pieces. Um, later in 2014, they signed a first look deal with Universal Pictures, which was the start of their involvement of the quote unquote dark universe, which that is now dead. dead. It's very dead. And I'm mm-hmm. happy for it because Lee be Winnell's The Invisible, Lee Winnell's The Invisible Man is phenomenal. And we don't need Russell Crowe back. It's fun. Yep. That, mo- that movie, that mummy movie is so awful. It was so bad. It was funny because we ended up watching it and it was one of those like, you know what? Let's just watch it. It can't be that bad, you know, but it looks pretty bad. We, we like, Maybe it's one of those we can just, you know, make it through it. Oh my gosh, that movie is awful and terrible. It was really bad. And Matt loves Tom Cruise. Yeah. That movie is And awful. I love Sofia Botella. And she looked amazing, but it was awful. It I, was very bad. I haven't watched it. We both it. looked at each other at the start of the third act and we're like, are we gonna finish this <laughs> that's brutal Why what i have is watched is the the trailer that was missing the audio tracks you've oh, seen no. that right no, oh i'll I send haven't. it to you it's somebody accidentally they like released the trailer missing a bunch of the audio tracks so it's just like tom cruise yelling in silence and they pulled it but not before a bunch of people downloaded it and re-uploaded it again so it's just that's sort of amazing. out there forever but it's such a good weird trailer also the fact that tom cruise and russell crowe are the same age is oh weird it shows in that movie it shows a lot i think they're like Um, one year apart or a few months it's it's yeah yeah. um anyway uh 2015 you have unfriended which is really good and Mm -hmm. the start of screen horror in a very effective way which i don't think gets picked up until searching and the host you know because those two actually utilize the product I don't know. I, I feel like the den might have been right around the time of Unfriended, maybe like a beating fair. it or a, a year later. But yeah, Unfriended was the first like big one that people were aware of. I think outside of the horror community, and like it's yeah. it is kind of like a, a peak twenty first century teenage horror movie. I feel like as far as like just I can see high schoolers sitting around watching this when it came out and like having fun with it. These so, things are terrible. I don't understand. Just log, not off the, just log off the computer. Okay, so host fixes it because <laughs> you can't log you can't log off from the computer because what happened was a friend was dumb and invited the spirit into the house and logging off the computer did nothing because it mm-hmm. was already in there. My bad. Him. So it takes him six years and about eight movies to figure this out. Well, it I mean, does, unfriended also fine. establishes that the spirit is not confined to the computer. Matt, did you see unfriended? Uh, I've seen parts of unfriended. Did you have you seen the blender kill in Unfriended? Uh, I don't. I know there's a blender kill, but I don't know if I've seen it. To be honest. oh yeah, it's honestly. It. I didn't realize how uncomfortable it would make me, but it's just like you see a kid like making salsa in a blender, and then when the ghost attacks him, like his camera cuts out, and when it cuts back in, he's just jamming his own throat into the blades. And I'm like, that's it. Like that messed with me because I was like, that's such an uncomfortable, gross, like 
Yeah, I know it's go, been talked. It was, I know it's it talked good. about all the time for that. Now, like I've never cared for. Him. I know I've watched. I don't know if it's this one or another one I've watched with Kate. I've watched one of these with Kate, and it's just hard for me because I'm like, is Logos oh yeah. I mean, the the care? whole cyber demon thing is, it's weird. I feel like it's also maybe because it's blending technology and like spirituality in a weird way, and so that's going to be a harder sell for some people. I mean, it's kind of we get to what the 2019 Chucky year all of a sudden where it's a. No, I actually really liked that one because it's literally just like a doll that doesn't have like the like whatever like learning inhibition they had coded into it is removed. I was like, perfect. I love this. Hey, which one did we watch for the thing? Which one? With the little that was unfriended dark web, which was very bad compared to unfriended. that was terrible. Okay, unfriended is really good because it it shows that you can't escape the thing. Unfriended dark web has it put in that element where there's outside forces coming into it that are human, and that's where you go into the weird like just lug off space. That's the one I've watched with you. I couldn't remember if it was this one yes. or a different one. Obviously, it's okay. That one's terrible. Yeah. So 2015, unfriended insidious chapter three which we found out is 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 not bad on rotten tomatoes in our james one episode um and the gift and the visit so i will hold that the visit is an extremely underrated found footage film like the visit is really good yeah i'm, I'm not gonna disagree i was okay. waiting for alex to talk about it because i know he talked about i know it multiple times. i was too <laughs> Wait, so about the visit? Like brought up the visit yes. multiple times. God. Yeah. God, yeah, this is the one with the, the scary old lady. I don't like that one. I don't think I've talked to you guys about that one, have I? Yeah, it was in Scream or in Blair Witch or one of the... Uh, it was in Blair Witch because of found footage. Oh, right. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, think, it, I think that it was, it was good. And while it did get more positive attention, I think, than it anticipated, like, yeah, still not properly like appreciated. Because it was M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. I feel like people discredit it discredited it right away mm-hmm. which honestly i was um, in that camp i like i have not been impressed with him for a while so i get it but yeah i'm happy to be proven wrong by him sometimes i would say if you have not seen these movies watch the visit and unfriended because i actually think unfriended works better now that we're in such a connection oh i haven't revisited it, it. i should out. you should because when Matt watched Unfriended Dark Web with me was when I was revisiting those screen horror pieces. Excellent. I'm planning to revisit uh, It Comes at Night later this month, and I feel like I'm going to regret that because of the pandemic. We watched It Comes at Night the second week into lockdown as a whole. Oh, no. How was um, it? In a, commu- in a community night, and all of us were very quiet. <laughs> no i'm gonna I'm, I'm so that that should tell you what it means yeah well so specifically i'm gonna be reviewing it for fr- i re- did i think i did friday's original review and i'm reviewing it again in light of coronavirus <laughs> oh honey i'm sorry <laughs> it's yeah it's gonna be brutal but i was like this is worth revisiting now and i'm just gonna be sad and defeated it really is it's gonna hit your heart you're gonna cry and all the death is gonna be worse good luck friend yep. thank you <laughs> um in 2016 they produced the purge election year money and grab. ouija origin of evil yes election Shit. year was a money grab oh, gosh. ouija origin of evil literally took the original ouija film that Bloomhouse also uh produced and made it like 20 times better if you have not seen ouija origin of evil you are doing yourself a disservice. Adrian, this is you've also, seen this, haven't you? 
Have I seen those movies? No. I thought you watched no, the Ouija one. No, no, AJ just makes a Weeha board comment. Yeah, every time the, we the Weeha board. I was going to do it. I was going to do it, <laughs> but like, I make that joke all the time. But every time I see it, I'm like, oh, I thought you watched I'm it. not going to get scared of the, the, Weeha, the, the Weeha movie. Uh, but there's no way we'd watch it. Stefani doesn't like that stuff because of like the evil eye and stuff. So there's no way that I'd be able to watch Maybe it. That's I'm, why I'm I not think gonna you go... watch it because it's been one of those like that's outlawed in your house. It is. Yeah, there's so no I think way. You're like, I can't oh yeah, even... it's the one that's outlawed. So clearly he watched it, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's no way I could watch that one. Be in the a house. rebel, what? Adrian. Watch the We Have. <laughs> yeah, the the one the one scary movie that I watch on my own is the one that Stefani's going to say no for. Uh, she's been trying to get me to watch like the what is it the haunting on whatever whatever. Yeah. Haunting yeah. Of oh, no, I hear. No. That movie All I will hear just is screaming. make you incredibly I'll... sad, and like it's that movie that that series is all about trauma and processing grief with really scary things happening at the same time. Yeah, hard pass, <laughs> hard pass. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ouija: Origin of Evil is probably one of my favorite films of like the 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 aughts or I guess the twenty tens. It, it's phenomenal. I believe it's Mike Flanagan as well. Uh, I would like to say for the audience, Weeha, Origin of Evil, is available <laughs> on Hulu with your premium subscription, and it is by Mike Flanagan. If you have caught the Mike Flanagan bug by watching Bly Manor, go watch Ouija, Origin of Evil. It is. Oh, it's like the same guy? That's scary. hilarious. Yep. Yep. Exact same guy. Same creepy elements all right there. Um, and then in 2017, Bloomhouse produced Split, Get Out, and Happy Death Day, which is probably one of their more spectacular years because of how well Get Out, Happy Death Day did. Happy yeah. Death Day, if you're not familiar with it, refamiliarized the 2010s with the slasher genre because there weren't many that came out before it. But didn't Split, like, people actually liked just or didn't like, and it was, like, a very hit or miss yeah, Split was one of those yes or no movies. Mm -hmm. You either loved it or you hated it. I loved it personally. Yeah, it's I thought it was good. Yeah, it's also a piece of like M. Night Shyamalan's property, that which also meant that you were going to hate it or you were going to love it or you were going to come into it hating it and refuse to change yeah. your mind. Um, additionally, Bloomhouse partnered with distribution companies Neon to manage BH Tilt, which I brought up earlier. The films released by BH Tilt are The Green Inferno, The Darkness, Ocarnate, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone, The Belco Experiment, uh, Belco Experiment, Slight, Lowriders, Birth of the Dragon, Upgrade, Unfriended Dark Web, and Don't Let Go. So do we get to talk about these for a minute? Because one, obviously, Unfriended Dark Web is terrible. Um, but Upgrade and the Belco exper uh, Experiment, which I know me and Adrian talked about a little bit earlier at the beginning. Upgrade, highly underrated, very good. Um, definitely. Same. The Belco Experiment I think about because I still think if you killed half the people right off the bat, and then if you end up basically you'll hit that, and then if you basically took people and had them each kill, I think it's like one person or something like that, everybody could tie. And that could possibly complete all the rules and have more than one person survive. Yeah, so if you're not familiar, the Belko experiment is that nobody works together, one person survives, despite them outlining that if you kill half the population of the workplace, you will, in fact, survive this. But nobody works together and hits that half mark. 
Did this come out, I feel like, at the same time as another Office as movie? As Mayhem? Yes. Yeah, okay, I couldn't remember if it was Mayhem. Same I love year. Mayhem. Same year as Mayhem. Different because Mayhem is an infection. Yes. Belko Experiment is the locking <clears throat> down of an office. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, love Mayhem. It was actually the first Halloween costume that my wife and I did together. That's adorable. It was, yeah, <laughs> we just covered ourselves in fake blood and office clothes, and it was very good. Well, if you don't see the Belko Experiment, it's also very good. And the guy I, I honestly, I think I skipped it uh, just because I missed it in theaters and I have not sought it out since then, but I might have to. But the guy in Scrubs is very crazy. And that's mm. what we're all here for. Dr. Cox. Yes, Dr. Cox is in there. Um, what's his name from Guardians of the Galaxy is also Michael in there. Michael Roker. Yeah, Michael Roker. Um, it's it, good, Alex. I, I would say to go watch it. I will check it out. And then see if you can do the math and see how many people you can get to survive. Yeah, no, Matt was doing math the whole time. It was it was an interesting walk because I had watched it by myself before Matt. Yeah. And it was like, oh, Matt would actually really like this because of the moral crisis that it puts everybody into. And so what I'm Matt hearing watch it. is that this was a movie for HR and the accounting department to tackle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like if they could have teamed up, they could have fi- figured this out. Oh, 100 percent. Um, beyond that, in 2018, Insidious, uh, or Bloomhouse also put out Insidious The Last Key, which I don't think is as bad as people say, but mm-hmm. isn't necessarily great. Truth or Dare, which is as bad as what people say, but oh. is still a fun movie. The First Purge, also not great. Halloween 2018, which is phenomenal because it reimagined Laurie, Laurie Strode. Um, and then uh, Spooky Jack was announced as an upcoming film at that time, which did not come out. And then in 2019, you end up with Glass, which puts together both Unbreakable and Split into one world. And then you have Happy Death Day 2, Ma, and Black Christmas. And then in 2020, Bloomhouse has produced The Hunt, which if you look it up, it's one of their only productions, but that eliminates the TV side, which is Welcome to the Bloomhouse, which includes The Lie, Nocturne, Evil Eye, and uh, Black Box. And The Hunt which... was only 2020 because people complained and act like it was Exactly. Whatever. They boycotted the film, which yeah. then had Universal pull the film, and then Universal eventually let it come back out right before uh, lockdown. And then everybody goes, why did we really boycott this movie? You people are idiots. Pretty much. Beyond that, when we're coming to content, Bloomhouse also has television, books, podcasts, and haunted houses. In 2012, Bloomhouse opened the Bloomhouse House of Horrors, an interactive haunted house experience in downtown LA. Bloomhouse had also collaborated with Halloween Horror Nights, to bring mazes, a terror tram, and scare zones from films like Insidious, The Purge, Happy Death Day, Sinister, Truth or Dare, and Unfriended. I would go nowhere near Sinister. That, like I said earlier, that is one film I still refuse to watch. It's not fun. It makes me sad, and it makes me very scared. Um, also, in 2014, the company launched Bloomhouse Books dedicated to having filmmakers and authors create original horror and thriller novels. 
Then for television, Bloomhouse had a first look deal with Lionsgate, and the company uh, produced the short-lived series Stranded for Sci-Fi, and executive produced The River with Amblin, te- uh, Amblin Television for ABC. Which one was Bloom Stranded House- again? I feel like it was I a show. I never watched. I it. feel like it was a show that I wanted to watch, but then I didn't actually trust that they were going to keep it on long enough, and they didn't. And then I was like, "Well, I'm glad I saved that time." Did yeah. anybody watch that? Nope. That's probably but why the I got thing, canceled. The thing that did succeed was that Bloomhouse signed a first look do- deal with Universal Television, which then led to the television series The Purge, which I believe is on USA, which started in 2018 and is still going on. In 2017, Bloomhouse announced the launch of the independent television studio ITV Studios, acquiring 45% of it. And with this investment, Bloomhouse Television became an independent television studio and has continued to grow, uh, has continued its growth by financing and producing originally scripted and unscripted dark genre programming for global audiences. This is where Into the Dark comes in in 2018, which is 12 months of specific horror. So each month has different themes. Uh, for 2019's like Thanksgiving in November mm-hmm. was Pilgrim, where you had these Quakers come in and terrorize a family, which is just as fun as it sounds. July 4th was Culture Shock, which is probably one of my favorite films that I've ever watched. It is a mixture of The Matrix and um, uh, I can't believe I can't can't forget the name. I can't I forgot the name. Uh, crap. Uh, But no, so uh, Culture Shock is essentially a story of immigrants, of undocumented immigrants crossing into the United States, being captured by Americans, and then those Americans putting them into a digital programming that forces them into the American ideal. It's really creepy, really cool. If you are fans of Altered Carbon's uh, Martha Hildegard, uh, who played Kristen Ortega, you will really like this because she's your main character. Um, and it is made by a Mexican director um, named Gigi. And I just have to say that this is like as much as Bloomhouse's first film that was produced by the, uh, the first film that was produced by Bloomhouse that was directed by a woman was Black Christmas. It also negates the stuff that happened in Into the Dark because those are counted as television episodes, hmm. not as films despite being a full feature film length. So just have to set that precedent. Um, They also, uh, Bloomhouse Television also produced Sharp Object, and they also backed Jack Davis and Eli Roth's digital network Crypt TV, where uh, they release horror shorts and other content on social media outlets. Crypt TV was a huge thing at RTX 2019, I believe, Um, but I personally haven't dived into it. Same. Uh, but yeah, one of the other but why those, as we're getting really close to the end, is diversity in front and behind of the camera. So what a lot of people don't talk about nearly as much is how, how budgets affect films. And the theater success often means that only the established people can get greenlit. Essentially, what the Bloomhouse model does is it drops that barrier of entry and removes the theater push and ultimately allows for more concepts to get made. 
And while that is that sounds really numbers based, that actually privileges uh, creators of color and creators that are often marginalized in these spaces who haven't made it yet because Bloomhouse isn't worried about attaching a name to something. Mm -hmm. They just want a good concept. So if you can pitch a concept to Bloomhouse, it can get in. Essentially, what you end up with is a lot of film that is driven by the creator. You end up with things like Get Out, Culture Shock, Ma, and currently you have Evil Eye and Black Box. Black Box has an all-black cast as well as a black director. Evil Eye is focused on um on mena um ideals not ideals but like it's focused on the concept of the evil lie that is in mena traditions as well as south asian traditions and it gives a diverse look that's from welcome to the bloom house and essentially what happens with this as well is you have films like sweetheart which is literally led by one uh, one actress who's Kiersey Clemens. She's a black woman and she uh, recently started Antebellum, but in Bloomhouse, uh, for Bloomhouse, she was the lead actress in Sweetheart, which is the survival horror movie I mentioned earlier that has a giant monster that is beautifully done and kind of really like kind of catapulted her career. And ultimately, what happens is because Bloomhouse can take bigger risks with less uh, with less risk of loss, I guess. You're allowed to make bigger films and films that kind of incorporate different concepts that you may not see and that automatically privileges marginalized communities in that space because what happens a lot of the time is that larger studios see films that have unknown directors, unknown actors, as well as films that focus on non-white uh, narratives. They get deemed as risks, quote-unquote risks, because they want to see a theater return. Bloomhouse doesn't care about that theater return, so it opens mm -hmm. the door, uh, essentially. And so that said, there has been uh so that said this has brought a rise to essentially you see how to explain it because bloomhouse has a lot of films directed by and starring poc it has brought a critique that bloomhouse doesn't market its poc films that well but i would actually counteract that in that bloomhouse doesn't market any of its films well because it doesn't care. Yeah. Um, so they kind of fall into that Netflix bracket where it's like, I just need to put it out. I don't need to do anything extra. So that's not something that is specific to films with POC leads or POC uh, creators. It is just how Bloomhouse runs its model. Because it's about how much money you can make back, you don't put that much money into marketing. And that's something I think is really important and kind of gets missed from the conversation is it's not necessarily that Bloomhouse is not promoting these films as much it's mm -hmm. just that Bloomhouse promotes in a different way compared to traditionally theater driven films because theater driven films are always going to put the film above everything else they're going to do larger social media marketing campaigns they're going to do larger billboard campaigns and we're going to see more of them versus Bloomhouse that thrives on a direct to VOD platform isn't going to necessarily plug as much which, I mean, you could look up the list. We just, like, we've been talking about it in Wikipedia, and we had no idea how half of these movies are 
Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know Philco Experiment even existed until Kate told me. Um, yes. But, I mean, like I said, if you just look up the list, like, I didn't know there was, like, seven Purge movies or however many. Um, I don't. I just don't think they market anything as well. Yeah. And yeah. although, yeah. honestly, I feel like, for me, horror is a genre that is well advertised by word of mouth and for me i often yes. prefer it like o- over at friday we will get a, a trailer or a screener and it's easy to say like well this is really more of an alex film i don't think this is for you or like this this is a byron movie this is you know and like that we all just know what that means because we're all familiar with each other's taste uh and i yeah. trust recommendations that come that way a lot more than just like well i saw 20 ads for it in the last week i guess this is what i'm gonna see tonight I guess looking at this list too, just saying the stuff that did go to theaters, I felt was marketed. But then again, I don't know because I'm part of the streaming service to where if they get one mad on there, I'm going to see that same ad 700 times in three hours yeah. apart. Um, like, cause I, cause obviously Black Christmas, I know we had, I, I remember seeing stuff from Ma. I remember obviously the Black Klansman, Halloween, Glass for sure. I think you even remember Happy Death Day too. I think I saw so much glass. Yeah, I, I, I saw, saw so, so much glass. glass and happy death and happy death day and happy death day to you, which was the sequel. Mm-hmm. That is all that my feed was. <laughs> and even upgrade was just those came, films and even upgrade. And like, yeah, and I think about those, well. all those movies went to the theater versus like we said, I don't, I mean, apparently Belco experiment did too. I don't remember that one as much. Yeah. I definitely don't remember the two Ouija boards. All the seven purges. But I also Hush. think it's important to note, too, like, the reason they marketed Happy Death Day was because Happy Death Day was, like, the first slasher in a really long time. And PG-13, so. And PG-13. And the reason they marketed, like, they marketed the hell out of Ma. And yes. it was pretty much all Octavia Spencer's face, like, everywhere. Yeah. Um, and they've done a pretty good job with Hulu, where Hulu markets into the dark. Um, and Amazon has been marked. So, like, I can I can say as a critic with Amazon, like they have been doing whatever they can to put Welcome to the Bloom House in front of me, which are four films that one is directed by a woman, one is directed by a black man, one is directed by a South Asian, I believe. And like they deal with there, there are extremely diverse casts and creators behind them. And so I think like at the end of the day, it just comes the way I feel is that a lot of people who weren't in horror before this current resurgence of, uh, of horror that focuses on POC, I don't think they understand that horror isn't marketed. Like, so much of horror is, like you said, Alex, word of mouth. It's, my friend liked this, so I watched it. Or, oh, this person got a screener and then said I would like it, so I watched it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that gets missed because horror as a genre has survived on VOD for so long that it doesn't rely on those heavy marketing outfits that we see happen with other types of genre. Well, that's the funny thing, because I think of The Hunt. The Hunt wasn't marketed until it got boycotted. And that's the only reason yeah. even yep. people even knew this movie existed. And it wasn't because they were throwing it everywhere because it got boycotted. It was the only reason people even oh, knew. Oh, yeah. Um, so while I will defend Bloomhouse in that respect, I will say Jason Bloom stuck his foot in the mouth when it when in, it stuck his foot in his mouth um, when it came to talking about female directors. Uh, so Jason Bloom said, we're always trying to do that. 
we're not trying to do it because of recent events where we've always been trying. There are just not a lot of female directors, period, and even less who are inclined to do horror. I'm a massive admirer of the Babadook director, Jennifer Kent. I've offered her every movie we've had available and she turned it down every time. That made me very mad. It's bad. As somebody who watches so much horror and so much of it is directed by women. Mm -hmm. It shows a blind spot that he didn't see beyond the current trend because the Babadook yep. and this was made in 2018 which is right after the Babadook and the Babadook essentially that took over the horror space not just because Jennifer Kent was a woman but because the Babadook was like this really great supernatural film about grief mm -hmm. but he neglected other women who had been in horror especially for a long time and probably the one that comes to mind the most is karen kasama who like has a very long repertoire in horror and in rebuilding the genre in different ways to suit different tastes like jennifer's body the invitation and essentially what happened is bloom acknowledged that he didn't know and I will say, and I'm going to read his quote after he got a lot of ats on Twitter and everything, um, with a lot of lists of female directors. So Bloom said, I totally misspoke. Bloom told Bridie's Mark Malkin on the red carpet, I made a mistake about it. Our audience is 55% women. The executives at the company are 50% women. I am passionate about hiring women, and I totally made a mistake in the way I represented that. We already work with a lot of women. Chelsea Stardust, who is my old assistant, I financed her first film, but I would like to work with more. Today was a great day for me because I learned a lot, and because there are a lot of women out there I'm going to meet as a result of today, I am grateful for it. And so one of the things to kind of position this as within the larger scope of horror is the majority of horror actually focuses on female protagonists. But in relation to those female protagonists, you don't have female direction or writing. The only other genre that has that much of disparity isn't action films. It is actually comedy. So when it comes to actually having women telling stories, horror is one of the worst genres for it. That said, in the last 20 years, you've seen an explosion of women in the genre pushing it. And as much as I do like how Jason Bloom structured his response to this, which was, I learned I'm going to do better, mm -hmm. which is all you can do. It is actually the fact that he backed it up. So Bloomhouse has actively showcased uh, talent across genders since then. The first, like I said earlier, is technically Black Christmas. The film is awful and i hate that it tried to say that the original black christmas wasn't feminist because it was um but you actually had films in the into the dark series that were filmed by women before black christmas came out um and essentially from that piece you actually end up with a lot of women and more people of color being involved in bloom house's production decisions which is a very good thing um, and I think means more to me than somebody just saying I'm sorry is Jason Bloom and the production mm -hmm. company both actively see sought out women and people of color to increase the diversity of their films, 
which is what their model helps facilitate. Yeah. Any questions? No, I, I don't like that. I, I or, or, sorry, I don't have anything to add. I like that a lot. It reminds me of I just read um, Nancy Wong Yun's uh, "Real Inequality," just about like racism in Hollywood, and, and at the end of it, she lays out a bunch of things that you could be doing to diversify, and it it feels like they're kind of taking notes from that and like actually you know making it a point to put in the effort, and I really appreciate seeing that. Yeah, which is like. I'll take, you can give me your apologies all day, but until you actually give me action, I'm not going to care. And I will say Bloom House has given that action. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I feel represented, because like Latinx and horror and Latinx in any sort of media is literally the lowest percentage of any population. It's so bad. But I can point to multiple Bloomhouse films that actually have us as a center of it. And that's actually really important compared mm-hmm. to the other landscape of film. Um, but beyond that, they also have the heavy hitters, which is the rise of what people are calling prestige horror. The horror that is more than just a slasher killing kids in a camp. Um, you have the invisible man. You have the invisible man get out you have care you have directors like lee winnell jordan peele christopher landon james Wan, mike flanagan james demarco damien chazelle and m night Shyamalan all working within this and then you have their arm into drama which has black Klansmen with spike lee and you have this extension of bloom house going into this very prestige area film that gets you awards that really solidifies the fact that it's kind of come full circle from spaghetti mm-hmm. at the wall because it still does spaghetti at the wall. Like it still has some like pretty crappy, not crappy, yeah. like some pretty low budget films that they just do and hope does well. But they're making they they're making more money now that they're able to fill to facilitate some larger budgets for larger talent, but also be able to give them that creative freedom that they wouldn't get from other studios. Mm-hmm. You get so, ten million instead of four million. Yeah, exactly. go buy the good noodles. <laughs> <laughs> and they and the reason that these films thrive and push their respective genres is because those directors are given full control of their films. This also happens for the fact that, like, a lot of first-timers end up getting their start at Bloomhouse. J.D. Dillard, who is the director of Sweetheart, which was a Bloomhouse film, that was his very first feature film, is now the director of one of the Star Wars films that's coming out. One of the reasons that, that was done, and he's also a black man, which is really cool, uh, J.D. Dillard has a phenomenal eye for practical effects and how they work. And Sweetheart proved that. And so the ability to kind of go all in in a genre that normally would try to push to CGI Mm -hmm. helped him secure that Star Wars directorial role. And I think that that's something that's really important because you end up with directors that can show what they can do with low budget, show what they can do with practical, and slingshot them into other things. Bloomhouse is very much the stepping stone to larger things, or it's the place that established directors go to find full control of their product. Yeah, and, and I think and that's that that's it. huge. Yeah, and that, that's my last but why, though. 
And that's all I have. That's Bloomhouse. <laughs> yeah. So I don't. I don't know if anybody else has any other thoughts because this went on a hell of a lot longer than I thought. It did. Uh, <laughs> I I can go or I can wait for last. I don't know what the rules are on this one since I don't know how much Matt and Adrian are gonna have. You wait. That's, for that's last. why. That's why you. Yeah. That's Alex. why. He, <laughs> that's exactly why you're going last, Alex. <laughs> Come on, buddy. Uh, I can go first. Um, yeah. You know why I'm here. I'm gonna take Matt's line. Uh, I don't watch a lot of like horror movies, but the ones that I have seen surprisingly do come from Bloomhouse. So thinking like Split and um, Get Out. I've seen Paranormal Activity. I've seen Purge. So they do make movies that I am willing to go see and like willing to try. Like I'm definitely. Um, we added the invisible man to our list like the other night. Cause it's, you know, on VOD. Um, so they make movies that I have watched and the fact that they've made things like the tooth fairy, um, and other movies that I would have never guessed, I think is pretty cool. Cause it shows like a little bit of the range. And I do really do appreciate the model of just, let's just make some movies and one of them will be good. Right. Instead of like spending $200 million on a movie that's going to flop. I think that models, much better, but probably also like reduced down, not like reduced down, but like really only viable in things like horror and maybe um, comedy and things like that. So hope they do more stuff outside of horror that is, you know, in, in that realm of like still being a good movie, just despite it's being done by a production company who does primarily horror. Uh, Cause if we, if I learned anything this year from all of our horror episodes is that horror got range, bro. Or got rain. <laughs> it so does. Give it does. them all the things. Also, I think it's hilarious that Jason Bloom's first movie as a producer is Kicking and Screaming with Will Ferrell. I think that's yes. hilarious. That's, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he's associate producer on Kicking and Screaming in 1995, uh, which is hilarious to me. Oh my God, Kicking and Screaming. Wait, 19. 19- oh no, no, wait. This is a, this is a different movie. This is right? a 1995 movie kicking and streaming i thought this i just automatically assumed it was i was a like i one. watched kicking and streaming in high school what the hell happened yeah i i just read 2000 1995 and i read it as 2005 i have no idea what the 1995 one is but also I'm looking still now. hilarious sir uh a bunch of guys hang around their college for months after graduation continuing a life much like the one before graduation uh cast is josh hamilton samuel gould katherine kellner jonathan bombach uh, John Lair. Yeah, there's a lot of people that I don't recognize. Eric Stoltz. No idea. Okay. Parker Posey. That's cool. Okay, know her. She's a cool vampire. <laughs> Steve Martin endorsed the script. Uh, that's that's all I needed, right? Oh, wait. Hold on a second. Bombach. Why do I know that? Okay. Francis Hawk. person. We're good. <laughs> okay. Um, one, Adrian, I wouldn't hold your breath looking at this list of what's coming. It looks like it's all a bunch of horror it's and sequels. All horror. It's a bunch of sequels between Craft, Halloween, other Halloweens. More I'm excited for more the Purge. Craft sequel. I am happy for that thing. The only thing that it's looks cool on here is It's going to awaken a whole bunch of witchy women the way it awakened me. Huh? The only thing that looks cool on here is Spawn, and there's nothing else. <laughs> information. I need a movie called The Easter Bunny with John Cena and let Bloomhouse produce it. That's what I want. Oh yeah, and I forgot we got another thing coming. Apparently, you know what? I'm out of here. Um, one obviously I've seen a lot more Bloomhouse movies. I still think it's funny with that model. Um, while I get the model and I get to see how it's done well, it also took about eight years of throwing stuff at the wall before it we did. can finally say the same people who made Get Out. 
Um, so, but I mean, I guess if you just keep doing it long enough and you make just enough money, you can make a little bit more money and eventually you hit your one break and you're good. Um, I don't know. I'm probably not going to watch most of these movies. I don't watch a lot of horror with Adrian. Um, I'm sure they'll come out. People will like them. Some people still make fun of them. They're still going to produce them for $10 million. Yippee. <laughs> My final take is the fact that I'm proud as a horror fan that no longer it's a Bloomhouse movie means that it's bad. There are so many phenomenal Bloomhouse films that have come out in like the last three years that I think it's very hard to automatically write them off like you used to be able to. And that's something that makes me excited. And they're extremely accessible to new horror fans. And they're extremely accessible now, especially in the time of COVID. So, Sweetheart is on Netflix. Go watch that. It's so great. Adrian, you could actually watch it because it's just a survival movie with a creature oh, feature. You can definitely okay. watch that. Not going to scare you. Super cool. Um... And yeah, I just, I want more Bloomhouse films because of what Bloomhouse can do. And I've been reviewing the Welcome to the Bloomhouse slate, and it is phenomenal. But Alex? also, do some math for Beth Alex. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, so I really wasn't sure what I was going to say coming into this conversation because for so long the reputation was like, ah, it's a Bloomhouse film. But I think that in talking about this and thinking more about them as a company, Bloomhouse matters because they make horror possible. And that's not to say that other people aren't making it possible, but they serve a very unique and good function where they are giving people chances. They are making everything from like beginner horror, like Happy Death Day, all the way up to, you know, like the prestige horror, as we called it. And they're making these huge films that are meaningful and bringing people to new empathies and new community experiences and just like new shared experiences and having fun. Um, and yeah, I just think like it's what they're doing is, um, you know, like we keep saying throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks, but like also they are ultimately making spaghetti. They are feeding people. They are putting something good out into the world that can be enjoyed. I feel like horror is a often overlooked genre and an often underrated genre or just kind of like underestimated and i think you can do a lot of really good big fantastic things um so the fact that they are out there enabling it and giving people chances and working to diversify it too like that's why they matter is because they're they're making horror everything perfect, is horror. Alex. i think that's all i got oh my god <laughs> not everything is horror just horror is in a great place. And I'm actually sad that Bloomhouse isn't making Candyman because if Bloomhouse was making Candyman, mm. Candyman would be out on VOD. Right. And uh, it bothers me. But, but it's yes. made for the theater only. If you don't watch in the theater, the movie doesn't exist. It doesn't make sense to me because as a communal experience, watching in like a Discord call, a Zoom call, or just at home by yourself, I'm going to walk to that mirror and say Candyman. That's just what's going to happen. It but is better to watch it at your home. It. Anyway, as always, thank you, Alex, for coming on to this episode and sharing your horror mm -hmm. expertise. Always a Why pleasure. Why do you let everybody know where they can find you? Yes, I am on Twitter at MostAlwaysAlex, and I'm at Friday.com for genre and horror stuff. And then I'm on Game Boys podcast talking about co-op gaming. We did do like a whole spooky October thing uh, where we tried to talk about horror games, horror movies, uh, and that was a really good time. Kind of a train wreck at times, kind of a hot mess, but uh, really fun. It's just me and two of my good friends messing around talking about horror for a whole month, and I had a great time with it. 
Awesome. And as always, you can find us at But Why Do PC on everything. If you like what you're listening to, head on over to patreon.com slash PC to support us a little bit more. And you can join in on the St. Jude Challenge by checking out this stuff. Make sure you head to stjude.org slash though and donate to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Doing so, you'll be able to make me sing a karaoke song. Make me do a TikTok dance. Make me do a mystery challenge from the St. Jude Play Live Challenge Box. And if we hit our goal of $5,000, you'll even get a chance to choose what color I dye my hair. So again, head on over to stjude.org slash B-U-T-W-H-Y-T-H-O. And you can find me at Oh My Mithrandir on Twitter. Adrian? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at SuperRuice93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-C, 93. Matt? I'm here.